So, who wants to be ordinary? Not many people. People like you, people like me, most people, we want to be extraordinary. Because ordinary doesn't have any special or distinctive features. Ordinary is common. Ordinary is normal. Ordinary is not very attention-getting. And so a, the way we view it is that ordinary is, well, it's kind of boring. And so often we disdain the ordinary, and we certainly don't strive to be it. Why is ordinary not good enough? Why do we need to stand out? What's at the heart of our need to be extraordinary? I'm going to have to leave you to answer those questions on your own. My concern this morning is what happens to you and to me when ordinary is not good enough in our spiritual lives. For our encounters with the Lord, what happens when we bypass the ordinary and our quest for the extraordinary? I'm going to let Jesus answer that question. Some religious people came to him, the Pharisees, and they were seeking the extraordinary. They wanted Jesus to perform a sign for them. And Mark tells us that in response, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given. See, if we bypass the ordinary in our quest for the extraordinary, we may end up with nothing, no growth in our spiritual lives, little transformation into Christ-likeness. But if we embrace the ordinary, we may discover that while we were not looking, and while we were not seeking it, God has made our lives extraordinary. And we may discover that the rebuilding on which we have been focusing in these last few weeks together, it's happening in our lives, in our families, and in our church. When we give up the pursuit of the extraordinary and focus on the ordinary, we are on our way, we are on our way to a flourishing life and effective rebuilding because the ordinary can make us extraordinary. Pray that's what we'll see this morning when we return once again this week to Zechariah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you take them now, turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible, you'll find the passage printed in the bulletin. So when you found Zechariah 4, let's stand so that we might hear together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord, Zechariah chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Then he, the angel, said to me, Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace grace to it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the depth of it, the, the richness of it. We thank you, Lord, that on these few verses, we can focus week after week, and still there's more and more truth for us to learn from you and through the power of your spirit. So we ask now, Lord, uh, that you would fulfill your promise, and you always do because you are always faithful. We ask now, uh, Spirit of God, that you would join uh, this reading and hearing of your word and that you would bring life, you would be, bring transformation in us, that because we're here together uh, around your word, we would become more the people you've called us to be, doing more and more of the things you've called us to do. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And just to remind you, as we return again to Zechariah chapter 4, our goal uh, in these weeks has been to understand what God means when he says, by my spirit. What does it mean? And it's vital that we understand the meaning of this phrase because a choice has to be made by all of us, by you and by me. The choice is this. Either you and I will be in our lives and do in our lives by our own strength and by our own power, or we will be in our lives and do in our lives by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts. One choice brings about flourishing to our lives. The other choice brings its opposite, frustration and futility. Well, God tells Zerubbabel which choice to make. He is to set aside his might. He's to set aside his power in favor of by my spirit, says the Lord. Then, when that choice is made, flourishing is going to mark the life of Zerubbabel. And all that God has called him to do, the mountain of debris that's facing him on the Temple Mount will be cleared away. The temple that God has called him to rebuild will be rebuilt by the Spirit of God. You and I have to make the same by my spirit choice. But if we're going to to lay aside one thing, which is our might and our strength and our power, and pick up something else, we have to know what we're picking up and how to use it. And so last week, I made two observations about what by my spirit could mean for our lives. The first observation is it means that you and I must be dependent people. We must be dependent people. And the reason is because we are broken people. The rubble over which Zerubbabel is looking at that temple site, that represents our lives. They are broken. The best among us, the brightest, the most beautiful, all of us are broken because that's what sin does. Sin breaks everyone and everything. It breaks our relationship with God, first and foremost. It breaks our relationship with other people. It breaks our relationship with ourselves. We forget our identity is made in the image of God, adopted sons and daughters of the living God. It breaks our relationship with ourselves. Breaks our relationship with our physical bodies. We don't just get to go to glory now, be confirmed in it. No, now we have to pass through death which is often accompanied by physical pain and suffering. We have to go through death in order to get to life. Sin breaks everything. We can't fix ourselves. 
We can't put ourselves back together. That's why we are dependent. Only the Spirit of God can do those things. So we've got to be dependent. Secondly, observation, we've got to be available. We have to show up for life. Now, last week, one of our sweet covenant children thought I was saying, shut up. And she told her daddy, pastor said, shut up. Show up. We have to show up for our lives. I mean, in our lives, we have to be available. We don't get to know the when, the where, the what, the why, the how of the work of the Spirit. No, you and I are just available for the Spirit of God to use us to work through us. We allow the Spirit of God to set the agenda. So two observations, we're dependent, we must be dependent, and we must be available. Thirdly, this morning, new observation. By my Spirit means that we must be focused. We must be focused. Now here's a very simple question and answer from Scripture. Psalm 121, here's the question. Where does my help come from? Simple answer. My help comes from the Lord. It doesn't get much simpler than that, does it? It's one of the most focusing verses in all of Scripture. If we want help, we must look to the Lord. And that's why the psalmist said, as he wrote this, I lift my eyes to the mountains. There's mountains around Jerusalem. Mount Zion itself, on which was the temple of God, the, 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 the manifestation, the physical dwelling place of God on earth. That was his help. By my spirit, then, means focusing our eyes on the Lord. He is our source of hope. He's our source of help. Now, the people that Zerubbabel had available to him, had at his disposable, disposal for the rebuilding of this temple, did not have that focus, even though they believed it to be true. Nothing in Scripture indicates that these people did not value the temple or that they did not believe it was important to be rebuilt. They believed it was important. The exile had changed these people. Now they were back in their land and they were determined to obey the Lord. As a matter of fact, from this time forward, these people would be known as people of the book. Such was their desire to obey the word of the Lord. However, however, when life happens, people have to prioritize. People only have so much bandwidth available. If every day is represented by 10 $1 bills, that's what we have every day to spend, and we have to choose where we're going to spend them. And you and I and all people make that determination based on where we think our help and where we think our hope will come from. If you believe this thing will help you, you'll, do, you'll invest a dollar there. If you believe that thing will help you, you'll invest a dollar or two in that place. All of us are always making investment choices. It's the choice. By my might and by my power, or by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts. Well, these people chose the former. Though they sought to be faithful to the Lord, they believed their real hope and the real help lay within their power, and so they focused and invested their resources, their dollars there. Though they valued the things of the Lord, they valued other things more, and so they invested and focused in those places. 
the prophet Haggai tells us what happened. Instead of focusing on the temple and investing in it, the people began to focus on building their own homes. We're not exactly sure what that looked like. Maybe they were building bigger homes. Maybe they were just building better homes, you know, investing in the upgrade, the quartz countertops. Maybe just better furnished homes. They were focused on their jobs, working hard, and it was providing them plenty of resources, plenty of clothes to wear, plenty of food to eat, plenty to drink. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they were also focusing on camel pooling their children to every activity under the sun. But at the end of the day, their $10 were definitely spent. There was nothing left for the Lord today, maybe tomorrow. But none of the things in which they invested their dollars brought them satisfaction. Haggai tells us that it seemed to them, to these people, that their pockets had holes in them. They made the money, but the money went straight through. The clothes that they had didn't seem to keep them warm, and no matter how lavish the meal or, or how fine the wine, they left the table dissatisfied. Why? Because the Lord would not allow them to be satisfied with this kind of life. He says to them, Haggai chapter 1, verse 9, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. I love it. God unashamedly takes the credit for their dissatisfaction. You brought it home. I blew it away. The Lord said, I called for the drought on the land, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And then, when the Lord had his people's attention, he asked this question. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In other words, where is your focus we could easily turn that verse into a fill in the blank for our own lives. The Lord could ask us, is it time for you to fill in the blank while my house lies in ruins? Or is it time for you to fill in the blank while I take second place? Of course, the answer should be no. No, Lord, it is not time. It is never time to allow other things to take our focus from you. But here comes the grace of the Lord, always the grace of the Lord to cover our sins. Isn't that good news? Grace of the Lord covering our sins. He didn't allow his people to continue living a life with their priorities out of whack, to live lives focused on the wrong things. He didn't allow them to keep looking here and there and the other place because there was no help for them in those places. No life can really prosper. No life can flourish that doesn't place the God who created it in his image and the God who sustains every day of that life as a priority 
over everything else, all else, because all else only works in your life and my life when God is first. And so here's the grace. Haggai chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. This word stirred up is often translated to rouse, to excite, to wake up. So you want to talk about being woke? You want to talk about being woke? I'll talk to you right now about being woke. This is being woke. And this is the woke that counts the most. Because God didn't leave his people where they were. Instead, he stirred them up, woke them up to who they needed to be. People whose eyes were focused on the Lord. What is on his heart then is on their heart. And look what happened. After the Lord stirred them up, after the Lord woke them up. And then scripture says, they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Now, their focus is in the right place. And while they worked, work, 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 the Lord declared, I'm with you. I'm with you. According to the covenant I made with you, my spirit remains in your midst. I will fill this house with glory. In this place, I will give peace. So you see, when their focus is right, they experience the presence of the Lord. When their focus is right, they experience the blessing of the Lord on the work of their hands, a work that is worthwhile, work that brings God's glory to earth to be seen and to be wondered at, work that will usher in God's peace for the world. This is real flourishing in this world. And this brings flourishing to others. It just can't get any better than that. And all because God in his grace refocused his people, woke them up, stirred them up. And that satisfaction that had been so elusive to them, they just couldn't find it. They discovered it when the Lord stirred them up and refocused their lives. I don't know about you, but I long for this kind of by my spirit stirring of God. I long for this by my spirit awakening. I long for this by my spirit refocus because I know apart from it, there will be no effective rebuilding in any of our lives, rebuilding of families, lives, churches. So where are we going to find it? This focus, this stirring, this awakening. I believe the pattern is the same for us as it was for God's people in the day of Zerubbabel. Haggai tells us that God spoke his word to his people, that they obeyed the word of the Lord, and the Spirit went to work. God spoke, they obeyed, 
the Spirit worked. God met them in their obedience. God enabled their obedience. He worked through their obedience. That's the ordinary way that God works. Not the only way, but the normative way, the ordinary way. Word, spirit, obedience. Word, spirit, obedience. It's simple. It's not spectacular, and that's why it's good for us to be ordinary. And it's why you and I don't need to seek extraordinary work of the Spirit. The Spirit can and has and does and will continue to do spectacular things in this world. No doubt about it. But that's not his normal way in your life and mine. And so again, as we seek to discover what this by my spirit means, this is what it means. It means that you and I show up where the spirit of God says that he'll show up, focusing our attention in those places. Once Jesus said to an invalid who was by a pool, he asked him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. See, the people believed that An angel of the Lord stirred up these waters and the first one in the stirred water was healed. Whether that happened or not, that's not the point. The point is that the people believed it happened. This means that the people believed that the Lord was stirring the waters and the people wanted to be where they believed the Lord was working. The people wanted to be where they believed the Lord was working and so it should be with us. So we should want to put ourselves in those places, immerse ourselves in the places where the Spirit of God is at work. It means putting ourselves in the Lord's path. Jonathan Edwards Edwards called it placing ourselves in the way of allurement, putting ourselves in the Lord's path. That place, that pool, we call the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. That's where the Lord works. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 88, asks, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? You know those benefits, adoption, justification first, adoption, sanctification, glorification. Those are our benefits. How does he communicate them to us? The answer is this. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. These are the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and prayer. These are the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of God's word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer. These are the places where you and I can be sure that God will meet us, stir us, awaken us. When his word is rightly preached, the spirit meets us there. When the sacraments are rightly administered, the Lord meets us there. 
When we offer prayers of faith in Jesus' name, the Spirit meets us there. These are ordinary things. They're human words spoken and preaching in prayer. Ordinary bread, eaten, wine, drunk in the Lord's Supper, water poured in baptism. Ordinary, common, everyday, familiar. And so we are tempted to pass them by looking for something more spectacular. But how can anything extraordinary happen through these common means? Let me just say this. They cease to be ordinary when the Spirit of God joins them. And these ordinary things have an extraordinary impact on our lives. And so our focus, yours and mine, must be on them because God has chosen to make himself known through these ordinary means. If you're seeking God, you'll find him in these places. If you want to rebuild, rebuild, these are the stones. Acts chapter 2, verses 42, 47. And they, the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's the preaching of the word. To the fellowship. Here's the corporate setting in which we experience these things. To the breaking of the bread. Here's the Lord's Supper. And the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Here's the baptism. These are the means by which God works in our lives, the ordinary means. Ligon Duncan, Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, writes, Ordinary means of grace-based ministry believes that God means what he says in the Bible about the central importance of these public outward instruments for spiritual life and growth. God is at work in these means of grace, in these places, because the Lord Jesus Christ is at the very center of them. It is Jesus' story that we participate in with each of them. He is the Word of God. The Word of God made flesh. He came to make his dwelling among us. We are buried with Christ, Scripture says, in baptism. It's his death. It's his gospel we proclaim at the Lord's table. It's his body that we eat. It's his shed blood that we drink. We pray to the Father through Jesus the Son and in the authority that Jesus has in his seat of power at the right hand of God the Father. What more do we need? What more do we need than these ordinary means of grace that the Lord has given to us? Is he available in other ways? Of course. As we saw last week, Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Spirit works when and where and how he will. But if God were never to do anything that we would call extraordinary, we would have enough. We would have more than enough, more than we need in these ordinary means of grace. And so the question that we have to answer, that you have to answer, are you availing yourself of them? Are you availing yourself of Christ through these means of grace? You've got to answer that for yourself. What priority do you place on them? 
and on the corporate worship where we experience these means of grace together? What things do you allow to keep you from these means of grace? Whose house are you building? Your house, the Lord's house. What in your life is diverting your focus just as the the people in Zerubbabel's life had their focus diverted? What are you investing your dollars in? If your life actions and if your daily schedule had to answer the question, where does your help come from? What would the answer be? The answer must be my help in all things. All things comes from the Lord. We've got to lift our eyes up to him, focus on him. He's found in these very ordinary means of grace. These are the places where the Spirit of God shows up, enlivens our heart, inspires our souls, causes us to want to be about his work. We must meet the Lord where the Lord promises to meet us. I'll say it again. We must meet the Lord where the Lord promises to meet us. We've got to focus on these very ordinary things. The preaching of the word, the sacraments, and prayer. That's what by my spirit means. And let me tell you, these days are too troubled for God's people to be diverted. Do you believe that? These days are too troubled for God's people, for you and for me to be distracted, to be looking for a different way, a better way, a more spectacular way. These days are too troubled for God's people, for you and me to believe that we do not need what God says this is what you need. We can only rebuild in a lasting way by doing it the way God tells us to do it. So if you're interested in rebuilding, rebuilding your life, rebuilding your family, rebuilding the church so that others can be rebuilt, then be okay with being ordinary. Can we just all be okay with being ordinary? Devote ourselves to the ordinary means of grace God will meet you there, stir you, revive you, wake you up to what's real and what's of real value. And God may even make you extraordinary, not by your might or by your power, but by his spirit in these very ordinary ways. Let's pray. Father. We ask that you would make us people who are not just okay with being ordinary, but love being ordinary. Lord, we pray that you would dispel within us uh, a wrong desire to be extraordinary. For whatever reason, Lord, we feel we need to stand out, to be special, to be distinctive, to get attention. Lord, humble us. Make us okay with being ordinary. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us in these very common, everyday things, spoken words, bread eaten, a cup drunk, prayers offered. We thank you that you want to meet with us. We thank you in those places we'll find you, in those places we'll find Christ. He is our only help. He is our only hope. So we thank you for him. Lord, help us make right decisions, wise investments. 
about where to spend those limited dollars that we have that make up our lives day by day. They're limited. Lord, we are not infinite. We are finite people. And so help us make right choices with our very limited resources. Lord, help us to invest in you. Help us to invest in these means of grace. Help us to invest in what is of eternal value. Lord, we can do this by your Spirit, as your Spirit stirs us to do these things. And so that's what we ask now, Lord, for for a, a revival of our souls, for a stirring of our spirits by your Spirit. And then, Lord, what you'll do in us and through us, we can only imagine, but we pray that you'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen.